Welcome to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. I'm Dermot. And I'm Kelly, and this is the podcast where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses, except but, today. Well, today will be slightly different. Uh, at my suggestion, I thought it might be an idea if we interviewed Kelly, since she's the person doing all the writing and the hard work. I do the cartoons, she does the, the actual work, uh, all the studying and the heavy lifting. And I suggested that because we've actually got a, a previous podcast where we interview people, uh, about Ulysses and how they got into it, I thought, why not interview Kelly and find out what got her into Ulysses and uh, tell us a bit about herself. This is going to be a very special episode <laughs> of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. So uh, I think this one to me feels a little less directly related to the works of James Joyce. Uh, but this is Dermot's idea. And I, I really want Dermot to plan an episode every so often because inside this man's head, lies a strange and beautiful world. <laughs> um, so his first idea that he pitched to me was to interview me. So we're not, we will talk about my thoughts on Joyce today, but we're not going to talk directly about Joyce or his life or his work. It'll be indirect. So just, just know that going into it. So if you don't want to listen, you can... Yeah. Go away and come back in two weeks. <laughs> if, you're, if you're asking, when are they going to get to the book? I want stream of consciousness. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> <laughs> the car chase sequence. Um, no, that's a Simpsons reference. Mm. That's from the Poochie episode. Oh. One of our most quoted Simpsons episodes. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're not going to get to the fireworks factory is my point. <laughs> So if, if that's a problem for you, maybe skip this one. Yes. Or not, you might en enjoy listening to us BS. Waffle on a bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, Take I'll, it away, I'll, Dermot. I'll get started then. So anyway, how did you get into Ulysses? How did I get into Ulysses? Let me see. So maybe 10 years ago now. Yeah, it was just about 10 years ago now. I was in between jobs and living with my parents. And I discovered Dover Publishers. Are you familiar with them? Mm, I've heard the name. They publish public domain works um, super cheap. Mm -hmm. And so I went and bought a bunch of classic books. And I was trying to gra gather works by all these authors I'd never read, but I felt like I should. So like, I bought some Kafka. Uh, I got some Henry David Thoreau. And I got a couple of Joyce books to read. Mm -hmm. And I read Dubliners, and I liked it a lot. And I read Portrait, and I didn't like it a lot. <laughs> and those are opinions that... Persists to this day. What's wrong with portrait? Being inside Stephen's head that long is not fun for me. Mm -hmm. And then I got a Project Gutenberg copy of Ulysses because I was going to read that next. And I was living in Seoul, Korea by that point. And I took a trip over Chuseok, which is a Korean harvest festival in September, October, depending on the lunar calendar. And I, so I loaded Ulysses up on my e-reader to go to Jeju, which is this like beach island off the coast of Korea. And that was going to be my beach read. <laughs> and I think I got to the point where Stephen comes up the staircase and then put my e-reader back into my bag and didn't read it again. And then in 2017, I no, 2016, I went to Ireland and I met a friendly a uh, young graduate student there, and he's studying Ulysses. And so we kind of just started talking about it. And I mm -hmm. thought, and I said to him one day, I think I'm going to try to read Ulysses. Because every so often I just like to read a, a big, difficult thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me feel smart. 
And, uh, you know, I thought Ulysses is a good place to start because I like Dubliners so much. And right. The literary masterpiece. So what the hell? And so I said, I think I'm going to read Ulysses this year. And he said to me, you, you don't have to do that. <laughs> Which made me really sad. But anyway, I set it as a goal for 2017. That was my uh, resolution. New Year's resolution, yeah. So I did it, and I read it alone for a long time. And then I met my friend Tom, who I interviewed in episode one. And That's here in Portland. Here in Portland. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started a book t- book club together, and it was it's one of the best things I've done since mm-hmm. I've lived in Portland. Yeah, Tom has a, owns an Irish bar up the, yeah. up the street. Yeah, Tom O'Leary... Um, Beautiful human being, mm-hmm. truly a mensch, to use a word mm-hmm. I heard in the movie the other day. I'm going to say it, formerly an actor on uh, the soap opera Fair City. Yeah, he, he played, played a very Brendan interesting Brendan Daly on yes. the Irish yes. soap opera Fair City. So any, any Irish listeners will go, <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, yeah it's uh, so I, I was I bumped into Tom by accident here uh, many, a couple of years ago. And when I found out he was on Fair City, I yeah. was you know, pleasantly surprised. You don't expect to meet people mm-hmm. like that on, uh, around him. But no, he's a really lovely person yes. and dear to us both. He introduced us, so special person in our lives. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it. So halfway through the the year on Bloomsday, then I started to read it for the second time. So I read it twice, overlapping in the course of t- from twenty seventeen through midway twenty eighteen, and mm-hmm. now I'm reading it a third time for the podcast, but right. much more slowly and. I hate to use the word intentionally because it's been co-opted by yeah. new agey people. And, yeah. But yeah, just just slowly and and just really trying to to digest it more and, and understand what's underneath every little stone and pebble in the whole book. So right. yeah, that's how I got into it. Basically, I just wanted to read something hard. Hmm. I was looking for a challenge, and I got one. <laughs> so, what's your favorite episode? In the My whole book? favorite episode, without a doubt, is Cersei mm-hmm. because I love horror and messed up ghoulish things and the macabre and the gothic Mm -hmm. and that chapter is more or less the whole book turned upside down and made surreal and it's perverse that's the one with the hallucinatory sequence yeah yeah it takes place in the in night town right right. which now is like behind it's it's in modern day dublin it would be like right behind basaris Mm -hmm. so okay (laughs) yeah yeah which is the uh, the big bus depot it's a Monstrous 1970s yeah. carbuncle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent use of the I, word Actually, carbuncle. I love Basaris. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I, mm-hmm. I love that building. It's horrible in the best way. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, so it's, so that, that event happens around there, and yeah. it's like something out of Hieronymus Bosch? Uh, like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. It's just, it's creepy and surreal, and it lit up my imagination like no other chapter did. Mm-hmm. Because I would say the other ones, the other chapters are all, not all of them, but many of them are, are feasts for the intellect, like Proteus that I'm writing about right now. Mm-hmm. But Cersei is a feast for the senses. Right. In particular. Yeah, I just, I just like weird stuff. Like, I really like weird, creepy things. And it is that for 250 pages. It's written in script format for no apparent reason. I'm sure there is an apparent reason that I will find out in 30 years when we get to that chapter. So it's written like a play? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like um, stage directions. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, I have a pipe dream of, that will never, ever be realized of staging just that chapter exactly as written. <laughs> oh, God. It would have to be done as a film. You couldn't do it on, as a stage play, but mm. you, you could do it with some clever editing. Or you could maybe animate it. Well, no. See, my plan for staging Cersei is that you would it would be a film, but it would look like it was a children's play. So all the, the backgrounds and everything would look like they were made by children. Mm-hmm. And then there are a lot of just rapid changes of clothing. So you would have, you would, do you know what quick change artistry is? I have no idea. It's, um, it's kind of gimmicky, honestly, but it's a, it's a type of costuming where you can like tug on a little cord or there's zippers and it just, it looks like you instantaneously change clothes. And it's always staged in a way where like a woman goes behind like a, uh, like she she dances behind a curtain and then immediately comes out the other side in another outfit. Mm-hmm. But it's fun, it's cool, and okay. also like having like people jump up through trap doors and you have people lowered down on like wires. It make it mm-hmm. intentionally very stagey and fake. Right. But it would be like a six hour play. Oh God. And it wouldn't make you would have to read Ulysses in order to even kind of understand it. Mm. So it's the the pipiest of pipe dreams, but I think it would be cool. <laughs> okay. So. So uh, what I wanted to do was to then ask you, like, because people are beginning to follow the blog in Mm -hmm. reasonable enough numbers. And um, so I wanted to ask for those that are following the blog and maybe they're used to just reading uh, Mm -hmm. your writing and listening to these podcasts uh, to maybe tell us a bit Mm -hmm. about yourself. um, Why you uh, and what makes you so special and how dare you think that you're qualified to talk about Ulysses? Because you don't have a gigantic tenured PhD thing. Oh, oh it's, it got really sinister at the end there. <laughs> why me? I mean, the same reason why anyone does anything. Because I, I, I'm the one who can do it because I'm the one who thinks I can do it. Yep. I, because basically because I've chosen to do it. That's yep. why yep. I like it. And I'm... Re- if you hear sounds in the background, oh, yeah, we just leave her in. This is we have a black our, cat who um, likes to get involved. She in does things. not like when we podcast, and mm-hmm. we're trying to just accept her as part of the. I'm looking noise. at two very frightening eyes staring out from the darkness right yeah, now. Yeah, she's talk about gothic horror. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, she's a uh, she's there. So if you hear, because it's it strikes me that you do have like I'm pretty naive about the book, and I've just known it by reputation as this very intimidating thing, and you've dived right into it. And I've read everything that you've written, and I know you run a lot of the material by me, and what's really impressed me is how, how well you take to it, mm. and you seem to have an intuitive um, grasp of the material, and, and not in a way that's dry or technical or over-analytical either. So it's a, it's a very nice balancing act that you seem to have. So I'm just wondering, like, what, what's in your background that's given you that, maybe? or Oh, well, first of all, one thing I'm, I am writing is... Or one thing that's kind of driving me as I write is to answer all the questions I had that a quick Google search couldn't answer. Mm -hmm. Because the question to pretty much, or the answer to pretty much any question you have about Ulysses has been answered. Mm -hmm. Like, people have been studying this book for almost 100 years. So if you have a question about it, someone has answered it. Mm -hmm. But if you are just, you know, a a 33-year-old kid in Portland, Oregon who wants to read it at a bar with your friends. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, always, it's not always clear how to find that stuff. So I'm using basically research methods that any, like, college sophomore would mm-hmm. probably have, which is I just search JSTOR a lot and 
read different articles and things until I get an answer that sounds that makes sense to me. Right. And then over time, you just build on knowledge. Right. That's about it. But yeah, why me? There's no compelling reason why I should do it. I have no expertise in Mm. Ulysses. I just like it. Mm -hmm. I do it because I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel like I should have a more grandiose answer. No, no, that's probably fine. Um, Because I think your your attitude has always been to um, not get too lost in the academic end of it. Um, I have seen people online. I, I went to a dark and foreboding corner of the internet called Reddit. Oh, God. Hunting down details about uh, Stephen's riddle in Nestor, which I'm really excited to podcast about that because yeah. that was one of my favorite things to write. So if, you ever, if you're coming to this podcast from another direction, you uh, might want to check out our blog, Blooms and Barnacles, which can be found at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Anyway, I wrote a post months ago about Stephen's riddle, and I, I really liked it, and, and it, it, was, it was fun to write. But it's, it was hard to figure out what this inscrutable riddle meant. Mm. And I ended up on a Reddit thread that was some kid writing his dissertation who was talking about, I, I, I mouthed the words, holy shit, <laughs> to myself when he was starting to say, well, now, if you break down, you know, this, that, or the other thing in the Ogham script, uh, you'll see <laughs> that it, like, corresponds to this number. And I was like, I don't mm. I don't think that's what it's about. I, mean, I saw also someone in a Facebook group. Um, there's a, 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 f- a section we'll get to eventually where a man goes mad because he has received a joke letter from someone that just says U-P up. Like the letters U-P and the word up. Right. And he's like going mad trying to hire a, a lawyer to help him find and sue whoever wrote this thing. And his wife is an old flame of Leopold Bloom's. Anyway, I saw someone... It, it was like, now, the letter U corresponds to this number in the alphabet, and P corresponds to this. And if, now, if you take them and turn them around and then multiply it, and then it was this whole thing. And I there was a comment that made me laugh that just said, I never thought I'd say this in a James Joyce group, but you may be overthinking this. <laughs> and I really don't think that's what literary criticism is about. Yeah. I mean, even things that I find, and this is, this is you know, I has value to someone who isn't me, but the idea of, um, I don't even know how to pronounce this word, um, prosody, mm-hmm. P-R-S-O-D-Y, mm-hmm. and it's just a, prosody is the rhythm of poetry, mm-hmm. where you're talking about tetrameters and oh, ions iambic and, pentameter and yeah, trochees kind of, yeah, and yeah. a bunch of words I've totally. never heard pronounced because I've only read them. Right. I have no interest in that. Mm-hmm. And I see I see a lot of academic papers slide by me on JSTOR about that. Because right. I think it's, I, I feel like that's that's something that grad students write about. Yes. <laughs> I And I was once a grad student. I have a graduate degree in education. Amongst many jobs I've had in my life, I've been a teacher of English as a second language to university students. Mm-hmm. So I have a degree in that. And I was routinely very frustrated with how crappy academic writing is Mm -hmm. because they were taking a subject that I find incredibly interesting, which is how human beings process language, how we acquire language, something that as human beings we consider fundamental and unique to our species. I mean, what could be more profound than that? And writing about it in a way that was purposely opaque and obtuse. Right. And it would just 
pissed me off. Mm -hmm. It really irritated me. And I asked every professor I had, some of whom wrote that I had a bad attitude. (laughs) I asked them this question, why do academics write so poorly? And the answer I got was generally because they don't need to write well to get published. Mm. Being a good writer is not important to being an academic. Now, they're all taking to their keyboards now to write to me to tell me why I'm wrong. Please do, but I've read a lot of really poorly written articles on language acquisition Mm -hmm. uh, that will contradict you in my mind. Um, But no, uh, basically all my professors who hold advanced degrees, you know, from a, I think a well-regarded university on the East Coast of the United States told me that you don't need to write well. It's... That's not what it takes to get published. So mm-hmm. to get published in an academic journal. Right. That kind of writing well, quote unquote, whatever that means to you, that like that, that is the uh, purview of the person who writes, the author of, of popular nonfiction. Ooh, boo. You know, if you're Christopher Ryan or mm-hmm. someone like that, you have to write in an engaging way because you're trying to get us n- normies to buy your stuff. But right. if you're just writing to other academics, you can, you can write in, in a jargony way. Yep. And I hate it. Yep. I hate it. I really don't like it. And I don't want to write that way. Yeah. And it's, I don't think you need to write that way. Yeah, it sounds lazy. I don't know that it's lazy. I think academics work really hard. Well, on the writing end, um, it sounds lazy. You know, it's... Well, and it seems like you're crippling yourself, uh, you know, in, yeah. in that you're, you're willfully, like, restricting your potential audience. Every time you do something like that, mm-hmm. you're reducing the number of people who can read or access your writing. Right? On the other hand, I've, I've read a lot of articles about choice-related things, and most of them aren't dry. I find mm-hmm. them pretty interesting. Okay. It might just be the, um, you know, the, the education people are boring. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm also just I'm really excited about James Joyce at the moment. Yeah. But uh, I, I think, though, that when the average person thinks, oh, no, this is a journal article, that it's going to use a lot of jargony language, it's going to be too hard to understand. And uh, I don't know, but on the other hand, you're reading Ulysses, which is hard and confusing mm-hmm. and more difficult than any academic article I've read, mm-hmm. like, intentionally so. Yeah. But I don't think you need a PhD to understand Ulysses. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need a master's degree. I think... I've said this to you before. I think, in some respects, knowing, uh, living in Dublin and mm-hmm. picking up on some Dublin slang would be as much of a qualification. Would help in, in some respects even more than that. It a would PhD help with some parts, with some of the musicality yeah. of the accents and things like that. There's there's things that you and Tom pick out of it that yeah. are just. Well, to, I, to give an example, like when we did the reading for mm, a Bloomsday last yeah. year, I I cold read uh, a passage that I'd never read before, and it was when the citizens going on this bigoted rant. And there's a word Moya, M-O-Y-A, uh, in the, just dropped down in the middle of his uh, of his rant. And I knew immediately what that was. It's Moya or Myars. And I thought, oh, you only say something like that when you're losing your temper, when you're getting angry, as in Moya. And uh, it was spelt like Moya, like, a, like mm-hmm. the name Moya. You know? And I thought, how many people living on the other side of the world would ever get that reference? Mm-hmm. I don't know that you could. But that's what the annotations are for, I guess. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the musicality of the Dublin accent, I think, mm-hmm. would, would go a long way. Yeah. I meet a lot of people who have an interest in it but feel like they can't read it. Mm-hmm. I went to a writer's group here in Portland, oh, this is months ago now, who said he took a class that included Ulysses, looked at the notes the teacher gave him, and then just dropped the class because mm. the notes were too intimidating. Right. 
I don't think it should be that way. Like this is this is mm-hmm. what I think of Ulysses. If you want to read it, you can read it. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to read it, then don't bother reading a hundred year old crazy book. <laughs> like yeah. you read something else. But mm-hmm. if you want to read it, you you shouldn't feel like you can't. Right. So um, anyway, going back to, to to your life story oh. a little bit. So you mentioned already that you've taught languages. Um, I know you've spent a good chunk of your life in Asia. Oh yeah. Tell oh, a little bit about, about that. nine years, eight and a half, nine years, mm-hmm. depending on how you count it. Well, I can tell you about. It. What do you want to know about it? Um, just I, broad strokes, like what was involved um, uh, on the beach, drinking mai tais and that kind of thing. Or? Well, we often drank something, a drink <laughs> that we invented, mm-hmm. which is called a sophie, uh-huh. which is a mixture of soju and coffee. That sounds wonderful. I don't drink anymore. Will, I, don't. I don't drink anymore either. <laughs> Uh, Sophie would destroy me. Yeah. It would be, you know, rending of garments and gnashing of teeth. Well, we go to the convenience store and we buy a, a bag of coffee and a bottle of soju, which mm-hmm. run you maybe. And they give you free cups of ice in Korea, which right. is where this happened. But I learned when I would make it, mine was mostly coffee and then with soju. And when my friends made them for me, they were mostly soju with coffee for color. Right. <laughs> my only ever alcoholic blackout was a result of soju, and I never well, wanted to do that ever again. That was, was the point terrifying. of the Sophie is to get you nicely buzzed while also keeping you up all night so you can party on the beach. Right, which right. I lived in a city called Busan, which is a it's a major city. You've seen Busan if you've seen the movie Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that Busan was in that movie because <laughs> I can just easily tell people what it is. Right, um, it's Korea's second city. I lived in Busan for four years. I lived in Seoul for a year. Busan is is greater than Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in Gyeongju for a couple of years, but I commuted from Busan. I lived in Cambodia for almost a year, and I lived in Japan for a couple of years. And I've also been to Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, Mongolia, and Taiwan. Okay, I think that's it. Okay. And uh, doing some fairly decent level work in Korea with uh, oh. Buddhist nuns. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I taught English as a second language, got my master's degree while I was there. Mm-hmm. And so I landed a job at a, a university mm-hmm. in Gyeongju, mm-hmm. Dongguk University. So there's Dongguk University, Gyeongju is like, I grew up in Illinois, so there's University of Illinois, and there's like the good one in Champaign-Urbana. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the University of Illinois in Edwardsville. Right which is a fine school, mm-hmm. but if you didn't get into the one in Champaign-Urbana, you go to the one in Edwardsville. Right. Um, Second preference. That, that's what yeah. Dongguk University uh, Gyeongju is like. Okay. No, but Dongguk is, uh, is special because it's one of only a few fully accredited Buddhist universities in the world. Okay. Um, Dongguk University Gyeongju is the only academic institution in the world that has a Korean-Tibetan translation program that... Mm-hmm was um, the Dalai Lama sent, like, a guy to us who was, like, make this program. Wow. Yeah, it was a, a floor below where I taught. And I taught um, I taught courses in mostly in English, like freshman in English, uh, freshman and sophomore English, and then uh, my, my Buddhism graduate course that... Yes. I taught a course that was called Listening. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea was we were supposed to play, like, recordings of things in English, and then they would, like, transcribe them and answer multiple-choice questions. Right. Um, but I didn't want to do that, so um, instead I we did a course on how to use social media and YouTube, and we made YouTube videos the one semester, and then the third semester I, I did um, film discussions, so... Mm-hmm. 
Because if you watch films, you're listening to them. Anyway, but it was all Buddhist-themed, and my students were all Buddhist monks and nuns, and they are among the loveliest people I've ever met. Fantastic. Oh, and before I forget, too, um, anyone who loves zombie movies must seek out and watch Train to Busan, yes, which is a which terrifying zombie movie. was the train I commuted to work on uh, every day for a year. Okay. Until they changed the schedule, and then I took the bus. Yeah, when when we met, and I, I said, "Have you seen the movie Train to Busan?" I lived uh, it, man. Kelly was like, oh, oh. The, <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw a trailer for that movie, I was on the KTX train coming out of Busan. The actual train. Okay. It, I I I I want to say I was literally on a train to Busan, but I'm pretty sure it was the morning train. Okay, <laughs> um, going up to Yongju, but. Anyway, that that is not interesting <laughs> to no, anyone. No, no. no, but um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, I mean. Here's the thing is, like, you're very curious about me having lived in Asia, but it's just it's just a biographical fact of my life. Mm-hmm. So, like, what was it like? I mean, it was just it was just life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a place where I, I spent the first almost decade of my adulthood. Mm-hmm. I basically graduated college and got on a plane and went to Japan and then came back um, in 2016. So just as Trump was being inaugurated. Yeah, mm-hmm. I came back because I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Oops. one save because I was the only American in my office, a very international office, and yeah. mostly Canadians and English and Irish and Kiwi guys in there. And oh, they would have given me so much shit. Oh, <laughs> like it was your personal fault. Yeah. No, they just would have made fun of me because we made yeah. fun of each other all the time. Oh, yeah, That's what yeah. friends do. Yeah. But um, work friends, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's not it. it not related to James Joyce in any way. No, um, no, no. But I think it shows something yeah. like interesting about your your background. Yeah. It's like something that to me, uh, you know, I, I worked for for four weeks in Shenzhen in 1994, mm-hmm. and it left a you know that just four week period left an imprint. You never forget it. So the I would imagine a decade. But would that's be the difference between four weeks and four years, because yeah. you weren't there long enough for it to become daily life. Yeah, yeah. That sounds very accusatory. I think. No, but no, no, it's that is though like because. When I came back from Korea, people were like, wow, you were in Korea for five years? And I'm like, yeah, and I went to Cambodia and Japan too. And they're like, wow, that must have been amazing. But like, it, it sure. Mm. But it was also just my life. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I think if you go for a year, it's like this cool thing that you did. But if you're there for almost a decade, it's, it's just, it's yeah. your life. Yeah. Like it's, it, I'm, well, I feel so like that, that's what I say. Like when people are like, what was Korea like? Yeah. Uh, five years of my life? Well, Ask me a more specific question. <laughs> if I go back to Ireland and people say, you know, what about you in America? So I lived in Los Angeles for 13 years. They they play a movie in their head mm-hmm. uh, of like, you know, like Hollywood and glamour. And it's like you don't realize how mundane that existence mm-hmm. was. It's not as glamorous as you think. Yeah, yeah people yeah. people in Korea like, wow, is everyone just like really good at math and eating dogs? Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> but mostly no. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly just normal people. So on top of that, you, where comes the interest in Ireland then? Um, where did that originate? I don't know. I was thinking, because I knew you were going to ask me that. And I'm guessing some point in high school, I, I got really into, like, Irish music. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically through a band out of Chicago called the Tossers. Yeah. Okay. Or, like, Chicago's version of the Pogues. Okay. okay. Um, I love them. I have seen that band play like five different times. I have a set list I snagged from one of their shows when I snuck into a bar to go see them when I was 19. Mm-hmm. And the one of the my best moments ever at a rock show was at one of their shows. Oh, I can't remember which venue it was in, in Lakeview in Chicago. 
but someone from the balcony threw a shoe and it hit the, the lead singer square in the chest and the whole room, hundreds of people just went silent and they just picked right back up and kept playing. <laughs> Professional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not at all. <laughs> so I think through music, and then I got a, a job um, as a photographer for a Irish pipe and drum band called the Shannon Rovers. Mm-hmm. They were featured in the movie The Fugitive. Oh, okay. I, I was watching The Fugitive on a friend's TV in Seoul years ago, and they walked. They just like they walk in frame for like one scene. There's a parade, and the Shannon Rovers are in it. And I started going, "I know those guys! I know those guys!" <laughs> And uh, people thought I was crazy. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so I think through that and, uh, you know, just kind of over time my interest increased. And mm-hmm. then I went to Asia and it kind of went dormant. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, I should, you know, I left Korea and I was like, well, I should go to Europe because I've been in Asia for so long to mm-hmm. see something different. And so I'd been learning Irish. And so I went to Ireland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I went to, I went to um to a little Irish school in in Donegal called Igeskale. Mm-hmm. And it's just in this very remote part of like not northern Ireland, but like the north part of Ireland. Donegal was it? Yeah. Yeah. And was that in the Gwaeltacht area? Yeah, it is. So it's, it's Irish a, language speech. So yeah, it's a town called so. Glencolum Kill and they they have no ATM. That's how remote it is. Oh, they said they um they they were like in international newspapers and stuff because like the tiny town in ireland with oh. no atm uh pain in the ass because i did not bring enough cash with me so mm-hmm. i had to borrow money um <laughs> from a lady in my class but it was all fun i don't know i feel like it's not a very interesting answer well no no i it... like the music and i like the literature because mm-hmm. i read some irish authors and i was like this is pretty good and then I think just the, the culture is fascinating. Mm. Irish people are generally some of the friendliest people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Ireland four times now, twice with you and twice yeah. on my own. And again, just you just you just meet like uh, something unique about being in I only in Ireland and Southeast Asia has this ever happened to me. You just meet people in the street and they like invite you to their stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, when I yeah. was in Galway, I like I, I went to somebody's birthday party. <laughs> like, right. uh, I'll never see those people again. But it was really fun. Well, when, our first trip there, we <laughs> we ended up being invited by the Lord Mayor to the mansion. Oh house. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, um, we went to um, we went, when we were in Dublin in August of 2018. We went to there's an Irish language bookstore on Harcourt Street near Stevens Green called Anshapa Lauer, which means the bookstore in Irish. And I went and bought some books and was very shy. But they had a bunch of wine bottles out and Dermot mm. asked about them. And they I said knew something was going on. They yeah. said they're having a 125th anniversary because they're associated with Conor Naguelgo, which is the Gaelic League, which we wrote about in the mm. Haynes episode. Yeah. Anyway, um, they said, come back. And so we did. And there was a party and there was a band there that I liked, an Irish band called Kila. They're fantastic. They were really good. They were. So that was really exciting because we were in this little tiny basement. Mm -hmm. And there's a guy, this old guy walking around with a gold chain on. (laughs) And so I went up to him and said, why are you wearing that gold chain? (laughs) And he said, because I'm the Lord Mayor of Dublin. (laughs) And then we chatted and he invited us to the mansion house. And we went and had some, had an open bar. So Mm -hmm. I had some free Guinness Guinness. on the uh, Uh, taxpayer's dime. And Yeah. uh, yeah. 
And it was great. There were all these like uh, working class <laughs> Dublin people in from some local pub. Yeah. And they were getting the photo taken with the Lord Mayor and they had me take their picture and I sent it to them. It yeah. was great fun. Yeah, yeah I, th I, I think we got the impression he hadn't been in office very long. And he yeah, was kind of exhilarated a bit. But yes, yeah. your, your friend who, who does, does he work in the Dáil or is yeah, he just yeah. Dáil adjacent? And he works uh, in, in the like Dáil. In like the, the legislative parties. branch yes. of the Irish. The Dáil being the Irish House of Commons. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and he... He said that, like, he the the mayor is apparently very supportive of like language stuff and cultural mm -hmm. stuff. So. Yeah, and he's an independent, and he had to do a lot of party, a lot of wheeling and dealing to get yeah. the job. You get it for one year, yeah. and then it cycles through to somebody else. Anyway, so everyone um, gets a go. Okay. It was a pretty grandiose way to answer why you're wearing that gold chain. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fantastic. I, I, you couldn't write stuff like that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, basically, I'm I'm friendly. Mm. I, it's interesting <laughs> that you, you know the Irish language and mm -hmm. uh, like it's a language that like when I grew up we learned from the age of four until mm -hmm. you leave school around 16 or 17 and you, you pretty much at 16 or 17 leaving school with as much knowledge of Irish as you had when you were four because <laughs> it's not at least and I went to school in 73 came out in 86 87 and um, that the, the teaching of the language was fairly poor Mm -hmm. um, it was very rote. Um, can I push the door open? And uh, our cat's coming and going. Very rote and uh, very punitive. Uh, um, I'm not saying they wrapped you with like rulers or anything, but it mm -hmm. was just not enjoyable. So it's interesting to meet somebody who learns the language for fun because mm -hmm. it's not fun and Irish are not two things that generally go together. Yeah. I think it's fair to say. Oh, no, but I mean, anything's fun if you're doing it because you want to. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose if I had had to learn like, trigonometry for fun, it would be different, different than yeah. like, I'm, I'm what it was like learning it in high school. I'm currently reading a lot of philosophy yeah. and history of science and philosophy of science, and I'm enjoying it. But yeah, yeah I wouldn't want it, like a, a ruler being Well, I, I wouldn't describe my personal upbringing as punitive. Mm. Yeah, well, because I know your, your question is, why would you learn Irish? Because yeah. There's really no practical reason to learn it if you don't live in Ireland. Yeah. And even then, even yeah. then. But um, Well, the biggest practical reason would I, be... I'll tell you why. I know why. Because when I lived in Chicago, there was an, um, an institution there called the Irish American Heritage Center, which is a fantastic place. I'll take you there if we ever go to Chicago together. <laughs> we watched the video of Conan O'Brien. That's right. That's right. Kicking that girl in the face yes. as he Irish danced in front of her. Very funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's a bummer. Um, and, and making mockery of Tato crisps, which I was yeah. very well. They were, see, they were from the Trinity Irish dancers, which I heard from a friend of mine who, very briefly, I was a girl I knew in college who was in a different, less well-funded Irish dance school. Mm -hmm. I heard that those Trinity girls are kind of they're they're stuck up. Oh, oh dear. So, but <laughs> <laughs> no. a begrudgery going on. I'm sure she's a nice young lady. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but I, I went there. They could. They had classes, but they were just like, I didn't have the money to take them because it's mm -hmm. like $100 for six weeks or whatever. Yeah. And you go there and you get materials. And I just thought, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what that would be like. And like, if you try to like buy a book and just kind of wing it, mm -hmm. you just, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in graduate school, I took a class called language policy and planning. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a project on the language politics of Ireland mm -hmm. and 
every source I read just kept saying it's so it's such a hard language mm. that no one can speak it because it's so hard. And I think like there are a lot of hard languages that people learn and speak. English amongst them. Yeah, it's English is a really hard language. Yeah. It does not make any sense. I used to in my classes when my Korean students would get discouraged. I would just write English is crazy, <laughs> and then when we'd find something crazy, I would say. Why do we read that E N O U G H enough? Because and I point to it and they go, <laughs> English is crazy. I'm like, that's right. If you feel like it's crazy, you're not wrong. Yeah, it, English is so much crazier than Irish. So mm. like that that okay. argument never held for me. Right. And I wanted to know what was hard about it so that I could talk about it in my presentation. Okay. And I didn't because it, it, that would have been foolhardy. But um, it, it ended up being fun for me. And so I kept learning it, and I thought, if I'm still learning this a year from now, I'm going to go to Ireland on my summer holiday, and I'm going to take a week long class. Mm -hmm. And I did, and it was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. Like if you're thinking about doing it and you have the money, you should do it. And if you don't, you can. The Irish government will basically throw money at you if you're an American and you want to go. So like, look into Gale Tech scholarships. And you said before uh, that there are more people like learning Irish yeah. outside of Ireland. In, in North America, in North Canada, America. and the U.S. and there are Australia. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. A, there are just more people. Yeah. Um, and online apps like Duolingo have made it a lot easier. Right. Those, I mean, those are the big reasons. It's just the, the internet. And um, people in America, if you haven't noticed, really love Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, so I think people get into it that way. Mm -hmm. Now, that's like... These are Duolingo statistics, so people learning it. I don't know how many of them actually complete complete the course and right. like the proficiency. Can, yeah, um, I don't know what that's like, but you know, yeah, it's uh, there's there's yeah, more interest in it. Hmm. But I think, but then like learning like in Ireland, everyone has to learn it. But I, I don't I don't know like it's yeah. but yeah that that's the the thing that I've heard more than mm -hmm. once. Okay, so that's good. So uh, we should probably mention too that uh, we're at, well as we're speaking right now. It's uh, late in February 2019, mm -hmm. and we are tentatively looking at um, traveling to Ireland uh, for Bloomsday this year. So we'd like to be in the country uh, for the Bloomsday celebrations. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that would be amazing to mm -hmm. to spend Bloomsday in Dublin yeah. this year or yeah. next year or whenever we get yeah. a chance to go. We should definitely go. So if anyone out there is in the country, you know. <laughs> Shoot us an email. And yeah. Where are we going to go with the podcast and the website, the blog in the future? Um, I mean, I'm, I'll just keep writing it until I get tired of doing it, I guess. Mm -hmm. I know, like, when you talk to me about it, you have big plans. You're like, figure out how you can turn this into a book and stuff. But yeah, I just, yeah. I, I, I don't want to think about that um, because it's, it's not really important to me. Mm -hmm. I just, I just like doing it. Mm -hmm. So to get enjoyment. I would like more people to read it and listen to the podcast. Right. Um, that would be good. Mm -hmm. But uh, just keep doing it and hope that pe more people listen. Uh, that sounds really sad. I hope someone <laughs> listens. I love it ever so much if you listen to my little old podcast. <laughs> now you're making fun of Southern people. I'm not making fun. It just felt right. <laughs> um, I, li I like talking in that voice. Mm. I'm not making fun. I, I'm making fun of something. <laughs> um, no, I just, I, I I would love it ever so much if you were to listen to my podcast. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I don't have some grand scheme. I think you do. 
Hmm. I think you're, you're like, we should find a way to optimize this and monetize it and turn it into a book and get well, David I, Norris to come on and talk to us. But I, I'm perfectly happy just talking to you. And oh, no, absolutely. We can keep doing that. Indeed. Fighting cats. But I just see you writing all this, these like really great mm -hmm. posts. And I think, well, we know at some point you're going to have enough material to make a very, very cool book. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, I guess so. Know, or more than one or, you know. I don't know who would read it, though. I don't know why, mm. you know. It, well, the it beauty, seems like they should go with all the, the fancy people. The beauty of the internet is we can self-publish. You know, if you have, yeah. absolutely had to, and people who want it will buy it, and those who don't, don't. Uh, they can keep watching, you know, Star Trek Discovery or whatever they're they're doing these okay. days. But yeah, I don't know where it's going in the future. I'm just living in the now, man. Mm. Yeah, I'll keep doing the cartoons, mm -hmm. which are great fun. I mean, from from for me to do the cartoons are uh, a hoot. Where do you want to go in the future? Well, I think we have like great content from you and pretty nice illustrations from me. So, you know, I think they, they go together very nicely, like soju and coffee. So and Soju and coffee <laughs> are that. I would not look at the Sophie as a life recommendation. It, there are a lot more calories in soju than you might realize. Mm. Also, you're basically drinking. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to hurt Korean people's feelings, but soju is not a high quality liquor. Um, Korea has many fine and wonderful contributions that it's made to world culture. Mm. Uh, the Hangul writing system amongst them is um, one of the most elegant language features I've ever encountered. Mm -hmm. But soju is the opposite of that mm. <laughs> in terms of cultural um, contributions. Soju is at the other end of yeah, that Yeah, well, as my alcoholic blackout can attack, which actually wasn't on the back of a lot of it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you can be very careful about All it. my best drinking stories are from Korea. Mm -hmm. Thank you for not asking me to share a Korean drinking story. No, no, we will let, leave that to the... Oh, I've, I've got some doozies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any, anything else you want to know about me? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Do you think uh, people are going to listen to this episode? They actually might, believe it or not. And if, Why you know, would they do that? Because, well, if they're listening to you talk every week for 45 minutes... Yeah, they want to know about James Joyce, Yeah, though. but, you know, you're a disembodied voice, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's interesting to get a little bit of bio of the person right. and some of their background and um, their experiences. Well, I'll say this, then, as, an, as a, a way of ending this episode. I don't have a PhD. I have tried a couple of times to get into PhD programs, and the second time, the rejection letters were nicer than the first time. <laughs> mm. I don't think academia is probably the right track for me because mm. they don't seem to want me. <laughs> also, there's the diminishing returns issue, too. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a separate issue. We'll yeah. even go there. But I, yeah, I don't want to yeah, get into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, just, it doesn't seem like that, that track is going to work out. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if all I want to do is read books and, and write about them, like, I can just do that. Right. You know. Uh, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to, like, do that and stuff. Yeah. Um, also... If you write uh, a, an article for a peer-reviewed journal, I don't feel that you can reference the classic John Cusack film, Better Off Dead, mm. as a reference point. But you can, of course. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, maybe you can. I don't know. Because uh, they did not accept me into the PhD program. Mm. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. I have a weird I have a weird biography, I think. Like my path in life doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't look like it's leading particularly anywhere. So mm. I think when you put it all out on paper for people who decide things, if they have to decide who they're going to give a ton of money to right. to work for over seven years for a PhD, they're going to give that to someone 
who has clearly laid out a path for themselves, right. which I have not done. Mm-hmm. I have done some cool stuff, but that was basically what I wanted to do with my 20s. It wasn't to lay out a path for a successful academic career. Mm-hmm. It was to do a bunch of cool stuff. Right. And I did that. Yeah. And I guess when I turned 30, I just wanted to keep doing cool stuff. And um, I wanted to do some more meaningful cool stuff. So So that's the trade-off. I've I've partied all night on a beach in Korea. Mm -hmm. And so I want to do something a little more meaningful. And I guess this this is it. Mm -hmm. You know. I worry that's not meaningful enough. It's kind of obscure and... It's what you enjoy doing. It is, yeah. 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 And that enjoyment, I think, comes through mm-hmm. the, the, the writing and the, the interviews. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we'll leave it there. And uh, please stay tuned uh, for the next episode in a couple of weeks. And we'll yeah, have we'll, services get, we'll get on. back to talking about uh, Nestor. Mm-hmm. I think the next one's going to be about Pyrrhic victories. So it's okay. going to be really happy. <laughs> Because ancient Greeks were very happy about things. Well, it's not so much the ancient Greeks. It's the, you know, mm. the Pyrrhic victories of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Been fun. I like this. Good. <laughs> <laughs> More enthusiasm. I like when you're happy. All right. Okay, then. Well, I'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Please visit our website at bloomsandbarnacles.com to read our blog, which is updated weekly on Mondays with a new blog post and artwork about James Joyce's novel Ulysses. And you'll find a new podcast there as well, Fortnightly. We are on Facebook. You can search for our Facebook group, Blooms and Barnacles Podcast, on Facebook. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at BarnacleCast. You can find our podcast pretty much any place you find podcasts. That includes iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Go ahead and subscribe, and you won't have to remember which week we're dropping the podcast. Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, as that helps our rankings and helps people find the podcast. And if you leave a positive review, we'll read it on the podcast. Finally, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is through email. You can email us at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. Please send questions and comments, and we'll read them on the show if we get any good ones. Until then, have a great two weeks, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.